Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Kirskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijon, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Banshees of Inisherin and See How They Run, two films that raise the question of the importance of art over lives lived. That is indeed what we're doing. <laughs> all right. It's been a bit of a break. Yeah, small break, small tiny break. Uh, how was it? How are you? What's been on your mind? Yeah, so the reason we took this little break is because I went on vacation for a week. And specifically, I went with family to Disney Orlando, as well as Universal, which is like major throwback to childhood, I, I guess. Yeah. This is like... Every In every person's life, I, I feel, or at least any person who has ability to in the U.S., the good times to go to these parks are like once in your childhood and once in your adulthood. And mm. so this is my adulthood trip. And Did yeah. you do a childhood trip already when you I were did younger? a childhood trip when I was like Aww. maybe 12, 13, 12-ish. Um, so there's Jen. some things I remember, yeah, and some things I very much don't so it was nice to just kind of like see it with these these old eyes now and be like okay now i can see very clearly now (laughs) um meanwhile you also had some new developments in your life so uh oh my god yeah tell tell us all tell the world about about your new little little thing in your life oh my god so yeah i'm now a cat mother (laughs) um uh, (laughs) i ended up basically in like the last three weeks i was i got into a frenzy about having a a cat in my life like I just really wanted to have a little girl just crawling around my tiny apartment with me and uh I did it I achieved it I have a tiny girl and she's adorable she's a British short hair because she has to be a British short hair of course course. I have to you know give a nod to um my people um (laughs) anyway yeah it's been it's been a whirlwind honestly like she's really shy she's really withdrawn right now like she's only been here for like five days I'm I'm just hoping that she gets out of her shell at some point. Um yes. so I'm just trying to she I'm trying will. to be Yeah. I'm trying to be patient. I am a patient person. But I think I was telling you off air that I was like, Yeah, she's teaching me a lot about restraint because mm-hmm. she's just so fucking cute and um <laughs> I she doesn't like to be touched right yeah. now. So you gotta I just respect have to, her boundaries. I have to respect her boundaries. So yeah. And where can people where can people see a f- a picture of her if you if you don't mind if you welcome her um i mean you if you follow me on instagram i do have a closed profile but i post on my stories there all the time um i did post her on my twitter one time but you know tbd on twitter thing so we'll circle back to that yeah we'll, we'll, that'll come back later <laughs> i may i may create an instagram profile for her uh we're still we're still tossing that idea up <laughs> and down so if okay, that well, happens, I'll, I'll let be the you guys first know. To follow if that is the case. Of course, um, she already loves her auntie Jenny. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, you should you should come and meet her whenever you oh, have time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, um, but it's been it's been great. Yeah, yeah. And I guess in between this new little love of your life, uh, what mm-hmm. did you watch for this week, Valen? Yeah, so I watched Banshees of Inner Sharon. I watched this a couple of weeks ago in the cinema. Um, I think it's still in the theater run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe right now, as I'm recording, that's the only way you can see it. But yeah. I'm pretty sure it will be on VOD or on HBO Max or something in the coming days. This is the latest film by Martin McDonough. He's a British-Irish filmmaker. Um, if you've seen In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, that those two are his films also. He's mostly a playwright. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but every now and again, he he makes a film, and it's always fun. Um, this is much like in Bruges is a tragic comedy, and it tells the story of Colm and Podrick, two friends who live in the fictional Isle of Inisherin during the Irish Civil War. I think this is set in the year of 1923, but the Civil War was in the early 20s. So one day, Colm decides that he doesn't want to be friends with Podrick anymore, and that's essentially the premise of the film. That's that's the inciting incident. It's what we find out in the first like five to ten minutes of the film, and it seems simple. But it's it the as the film progresses, it obviously ends up being more than that. Yeah. Not just in terms of the chain of events, but what the film is about. Mm-hmm. It's not just the breakdown of a relationship. It's just it, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful onion uh, that keeps giving, keeps on giving with each layer. So. Question for you: uh-huh. When did you see it, and how familiar familiar are you with like Martin McDonough's work? Like, have you seen the other two films? I'm not very familiar with his work. I haven't seen those films. Um, I guess this is probably the first film of his, like in in whole, that I've watched and encountered. Uh, yeah. But I watched the film last week in the theater, and it's a good film to see in the theater. Although, yeah, I mean, all films are good to see in the theater, really. But it, I. I'm glad that I saw it in the theater and I saw it in its run. Yeah, um, same. I heard a lot of good things about this movie and I went and was still pleasantly surprised, even despite all the good things yeah. here. I had expectations and those expectations were exceeded and I I laughed, I teared up at a certain yeah. point. Like it, it yeah. was it was a good film. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent film. And that I think for me I was I was expecting a good time as well. Yeah. I implore you to watch In Bruges. Mm. In Bruges is truly one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, like, wow. All right. Yeah, straight up, like, top 20. Have to see it before you die if you haven't already. Um, and it also does star Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And uh, Colin Farrell is Podrick and Brendan Gleeson is Colin, just, just as a quick aside. Mm. So it's like the reuniting of these two guys in a somewhat similar setup, but not quite, like, as an, as an emotional setup. Speaking of, have you ever had a friendship breakup? I get not I guess, but maybe not so much mm. of a breakup as like a fizzle out and I'm right. going to be the first to admit that often that's on my end. Yeah, same. In terms of letting things fizzle out and also yeah. just like not being good at replying to texts or being yeah. like yeah. Oh, I'm not in the right headspace to like deal with this or yeah. I don't have the patience to this person yeah. anymore or like a lot of that that's i'm i'm gonna say like 70 percent of that most of the time is on me so i guess that would make me the column of this equation yeah um, i have also mostly been column in my <laughs> life there have been a couple times where i've been podrick i think one time it's not fun but i understood the reason and it made sense and by the end of it it was like uh, yeah this has we have to break up um the most heart-wrenching one was the one my my first friendship breakup that truly fucked me up when was, uh, that? was at university mm. yeah so it was like it was like uh with a friend that i'd been i'd been friends with her since sixth form so we'd been friends for two years and then we both went to the same college at cambridge together and we were studying the same thing and like we lived in the same dorm basically like in the same corridor down the down the corridor from each other for like three years straight and then in the last year i think we just completely fell apart because she was going through a transition in her life and i didn't know how to deal with it and then it all just blew up when she got with a guy that i ha- that i fancied oh um, god and it was like it it just like really brought to light 
our discrepancies, like mm-hmm. how we saw each other, um, and just like me and my inferior inferiority complex at that time. It it was terrible. It was terrible. Like it was like honestly the worst. And everyone talks about how friendship breakups are way worse than romantic breakups and i totally agree with Mm. that sentiment like i don't think about my any of my exes but i think about her like once every like six months she'll pop up in my head i'm like maybe i'll check what she's doing and i never do but it's like oh yeah do do you think you ever will no 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 it's fine like it's it's honestly fine like it doesn't break my heart anymore like the way that it did when it first happened it's not fresh at all it's just morbid curiosity honestly yeah because it's just it's just funny to be like joint at the hip with someone and like know everything about them and then suddenly not yeah and that is you know that's a part of the heartbreak of this film like with with podrick he's the one that has been wronged and he really like for the first i'd say about 20 to 30 minutes of the film you don't really understand why this is happening and you just like he is don't understand column and the the way that it's set up and that's part of the the comedy part of this tragic comedy is seeing this town and seeing how people respond to it because everybody knows each other. Yeah. Everybody knows uh, what the dynamics are. There's like one pub that they all meet up at and they all discuss it. And um, no one knows how to deal with it either. Like the, the peripheral characters aren't sure what to do. Yeah. And, Col- and Colum isn't very uh, forthcoming about the why of it all. He does eventually say why, but... It's really, really sad watching Podrick's confusion throughout this film and just his his like emotional transformation is incredible. Yeah. I mean that is a tragedy. Yeah. Oh my god, huge, huge tragedy. Like the, the I cried at one point and it it was just so heartbreaking. Like I wanna give a shout out to Colin Farrell. Like Brendan Gleason is an icon in Irish cinema, British cinema, world cinema, which is in general. But Colin Farrell in this film, he needs an Oscar. I, I don't <laughs> care. Like, he needs to get it. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. And in this, like, he just strikes that perfect balance between being a bit of a dum-dum, essentially. Yeah. Like, he's a bit, like, naive. He's really silly. But at the same time, like, he's so earnest in his feelings about being hurt. Yeah. What did you What did you think of Colin and Brendan in this one? Both fantastic. All the performances really were top notch um yeah. i also want to shout out the two of the i guess like supporting cast carrie condon as siobhan who is yes um the sister obviously yeah the sister yeah, yeah. and also barry kian as kind of the village idiot who is also very pitiable and empathetic and, and he is also like very tragic and uh everyone is just performing like at high the highest levels um yeah but you're right i think colin farrell he is the, the heart of this film. Yeah. And he really yeah, rises he to the occasion. He portrays like the, the vulnerability, the warmth that turns into kind of like a bitterness, which is yeah. again, very sad yeah. to see. And just yeah. the real tragedy of, of his life and his uh, sort of emotional, basically su- like suffering so much uh, from this one decision that has huge consequences for both of their lives yeah yeah and it's it's, my favorite thing was honestly the way that he does not know how to just let it go yeah Um, yeah it it bothers it bothers him so much it's his whole world and that that, you know that's what brings him joy and just the fact that he doesn't have that anymore he doesn't know what to do with himself yeah Um, he doesn't know how to replace that 
and, void. Yeah. And it raises all sorts of insecurities for him too, because he's yes. like, yeah. am I really so boring? Am I really, am I dull? Am I dumb? Does everyone think this of me? And, and those are very right. relatable, of course. And also yes. just like, so sad. <laughs> I don't know. I felt, yeah. re- I felt really for him. But what did you think of the, the heart of the conflict, which is that, of course, Calm, in his view, he is like, I want to be able to do with my remaining time what I want to do. And that yeah. is to pursue art, to create something memorable, to to leave a small mark in history. And I just, I want to do that. And that's like my freedom and my choice yeah. to make versus, yeah. um, of course, Patrick's like, what What about just having, enjoying like your, your friends and your loved ones and being a nice person and you know, yeah. just living your life, uh, a simple life, is that not enough too? So what did you yeah. think of the, that that kind of conflict and I guess the, the questions it raises about, again, like art versus like a simple life lives? Well, it's funny watching this after watching Tar, you know, because mm-hmm. I think they are both very different films about that kind of central tension that we all have. And like, I guess like seeing filmmakers do this as well as people that are creatives and that are creating some something i listened to a a podcast episode with martin mcdonough being interviewed Mm. and they asked him like who are you like are you colin mpodrick and he's like i'm both like i don't like for me it's like trying to saddle both of these tensions is is a part of the struggle of it all you know like i guess i want to split them up and see how they both interact with one another and i think essentially that that's kind of it really like because when colin is talking about the fact that he hasn't done anything with his life that he's just you know he's he's a he's a folk musician essentially mm-hmm. like he plays like the fiddle and for him he really wants to just he really wants to make music like he wants to have something lasting and he wants to spend his days just worrying about that you know I talked about this previously my relationship with my creativity is now very important to me like it takes precedence over my work honestly like it's something that I value deeply emotionally and I hope that that stays with me for the rest of my life so when Colin is talking about that I'm like yeah dude like I get it of course you don't want to be like pissing around your time especially not when like uh, with the remoteness that they're in where there's honestly nothing else to do I totally understand and I sympathize with it at the same time equally I sympathize with Podrick Mm -hmm. because I do think that being a good person and being someone that is a valuable friend that is a valuable daughter that is a valuable bro- like sister um wife all of these things are very very important to me they also bring me great joy so it's just it's interesting seeing this dynamic play out like split up between two characters and like talk to one another about it mm-hmm. Because it feels very much like a zero-sum game. And, like, essentially, obviously, like, the the lesson is, like, it isn't. Like, you can have both. And it should be both. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that that's how I feel. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, the way, without the zero-sum aspect, of course, the film would not be able to operate the way that it does. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess in, in terms of as a philosophy in life, it is all about the balance. Um, I do think at the end of the day, probably nothing can be perfectly 50 50 like one has to sort of end up slightly the priority even if by like one percent that's true and that i guess that choice of which one it is like it's it's not damning either way but it is like a choice that that someone has to make 
And what's interesting is like with the two of them and two of their arguments, essentially, you also see in terms of what that does to you or what that belief does to you. The, the the personality trait that isn't necessarily likable in e- on either side like with Colm he's arrogant he's arrogant like he he has too much of an ego he really thinks that this is the end all be all for him and like his life is you know it means more than that or or whatever and then on the other side you've got Podrick who's just naive like and and also selfish in a way like he really just wants column all to himself and it isn't fair like and this is this circles back to what we were talking about about his like unrelenting need to make them be friends again um and just not respect this man's boundaries yeah at all so it's just it's fascinating seeing how they both fall into like they have very valid reasons for acting the way that they act but they also fall into a pattern of behavior that is also not ideal yeah it's pushed to the extreme speaking of pushing to the extreme something happens there's a pivotal moment where Colum, having had enough of just you know realizing that podrick is not going to respect his boundaries just through verbal cues alone says if you do not stop talking to me every time you talk to me i want to cut a finger off and what's fascinating and this is this is where i think the film turns into a frustrating premise that once you push past that frustration you realize that it's actually really intelligent and it isn't just designed to you know make you frustratingly scream at the screen like why are you doing that why are you doing that (laughs) is the fact that he cuts fingers from his hand that plays the fiddle yeah so obviously (laughs) it, it goes against everything he says which is I want to make music. You can't make music if you can't play your fucking instrument. Yeah. And, you know, there's like this tension that starts happening where one finger goes and you're like, well, I guess he could keep playing. <laughs> yeah. He has and- four fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, spoiler alert, it keeps going. Um, and, and it's really shocking, actually, when the next yeah. cutting occurs. Yes. Um, because the whole time, and I think like I felt it, it was palpable in the theater because we were in a packed theater. And you could feel everyone being like, you don't have to do it. Like, you don't have to do it. Like, you proved your point, you don't have to do it. But obviously, there's a part of it where, as Colm, you're like, well, he clearly hasn't been able to prove his point um, because Podrick keeps coming up to him and keeps thinking that this is nothing. And he so deeply wants him to know how important this is. It's sort of like making literal the conflict again the tension between them which yes. is calm feels like he can't create his art because Padraig keeps keeps taking him his time keeps bothering him yeah so yeah, then like exactly. how to escalate this literally like he cannot create his art in the same way anymore his music because yeah. again Padraig keeps bothering him he won't leave him alone so yeah. it's like yeah. making very yeah. literal the the small nugget of a conflict between them which is um it just really brings it to the forefront in, yes. in a very in your face, uh, kind of shocking way, which is it's designed yeah. to do. I'm sure that is yeah. that's sort of like Calm's threat. His intent um, is yeah. to make that happen, and as like a a filmmaking like device, like to see that on camera, um, it's also very effective in the same way. It is. Who do you think is the winner in this? Well, neither of the two main yes. men, to be honest, um, and yeah. really the only winner I think that is. And it's presented pretty pretty clearly is uh, Siobhan, yeah. Who you know she's she has a it's a great role, it's a great character, yes, uh, with a yeah. great performance, and then she has this 
you know, she sort of has to act as the go-between between mm-hmm. her brother and Calm a lot a lot of the time yeah. And, yeah. and try to prevent both of them from escalating where it doesn't need to to go. And she yeah. kind of has had it at a certain point. She has a really mm-hmm. great um kind of monologue where she's like like Calm is saying like, you know, he's dull. Like he's that's that's yeah. just what it is. I don't want to spend my time with with dull guys with any and she's she's like, You're all dull. Like all of yeah. you, you're all dull. Yeah. You think you're so great, like and she even has this like amazing like counter to his earlier where she's she corrects him on a fact about a about Mozart and it shows yeah. like the level of knowledge and like knowledge yeah. seeking, but also humility that she is operating from, where she yeah. is as smart or smarter or more knowledgeable about things than all these guys and but she exactly. doesn't feel a need to to show it off in this sort of like one up one-upping uh sort yeah. of way of masculinity and yeah yeah siobhan's the winner because she siobhan is the winner yeah she, she gets yeah. out of this place yeah and she dives headfirst towards danger like she ends up going to the mainland where the war is happening mm-hmm. you know these guys there's a there's an interesting thing that happens every now and again throughout the film like the civil war is happening and it's happening far away from them so the community on the island is like, oh, what a, you know, it, it feels more like a nuisance than something that is actually like important that they're truly thinking about yeah. day in, day out. It's just something that's happening over there. Yeah. It's almost um, like, um, they're just like commenting on the weather. Like, right. Oh, exactly. That, that's happening again. And you hear the bombs from the distance too, which is, which is a really good way of us understanding how far and also how close they are to it. And with Siobhan, she sees that and, she gets a, you know, spoiler alert, she gets a job offer and on the mainland and she decides to just go for it. She takes the risk. She takes the risk that neither one of them have, really. Like, for them, for both Colm and Podrick, this is all happening within their bubble and she wants to burst it. If we're talking about balance, that she's the balance. Like, she's the she's the equilibrium of, of both of these things where she wants to be a good sister and she loves, she loves Podrick and she wants to be there for him, but she can't, so... She yeah. has to prioritize herself and off she goes, you know, like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, it's interesting. I've heard some people criticize that she is a character that's, you know, her being the caretaker or whatever, like, well, it's historically accurate. I don't know what to tell you. Like, so I, I personally didn't think that, um, this was necessarily like anti-feminist or whatever. I no, think it was very, no. very feminist. I, um, yeah. And I think it's true to the kind of dynamic that she yeah. and Potter have, like it, yeah. Honestly, the relationship was one of my favorite things about the film. Also, Same. like the sort of Same. the tension of the relationship and the the love they clearly have for each other. But also, yeah. she's running out of patience for her brother yes, and who exactly. can't take care of himself. And when she leaves, you really see the hole that she leaves in his life because, yeah. like, yeah. literally, I mean, even just like from the day to day, he can't cook for himself. Right. But also, he is finally and truly alone. Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. no one else to fall back on. And yeah. you see the sort of emotional devastation that, that reeks on him. And, and yeah. that really kicks off some of the, like the darker spirals of the film. Like it, yes. yeah. it was, it, it was really sad, honestly, to see the state that uh, Podrick fell into because yeah. of this, of his sister leaving. Um, yeah. What happens next? Yeah. Fingers. Jenny the donkey, who oh is God, an absolute so star. cute, yeah, so amazing, yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is, is as well, like both Colum and Podrick are childless; they are unmarried men. It's either their friendship or their art is their companion. And I think with Podrick, it is also his animals. Like Colum also has his dog, 
So they have some form of companionship through animals, but not really, you know, and that's not necessarily enough. And for Podrick, it is, yeah, the way that it ends. Um, I mean, obviously, people have pointed out the fact that this is a metaphor for the Irish Civil War and how things do get out of hand and how it is a matter of just like not being able to see eye to eye at some point. And that's, you know, spoiler alert, that's kind of how the film ends. They settle at a place that is on diametrically opposed ends. Um, as a final point, we talked about how you should see this in the cinema. See it any way you can, but the reason why we both loved uh, the fact that we saw it in the cinema is because Ireland itself is depicted so beautiful. beautifully. Oh my God, we need to go. Jenny, we need to go. Oh, hell we yeah. need to find a cottage and we need to just go. Like, I'm... It's just gorgeous. Obviously, the town is meant to be fictional, but this is real island. These are the real isles. Oh, what a love letter, isn't it? Like, I just, I really enjoy it when a director is in their bag with, like, place, you know, and, and Mark McDonough's really in this. So I implore you all to watch it. Um, please do your homework and watch it in Bruges as well. All right, so Jenny, what did you watch this week? This week I watched See How They Run, which is a film that was uh, originally released in theaters in September, and now it's made its way onto HBO Max, so you can stream it there. Uh, this is a comedy mystery directed by Tom George. I believe his uh, directorial debut for feature mm. film. Oh, and nice. It, yeah. Good job. Written by um, Mark Chappell. And this film takes place in 1950s London in sort of the orbiting around Agatha Christie's play, The Mousetrap. The Mousetrap is a real work. Um, but in this story, basically the play has been running for a hundred performances mm. in London. And it's so successful that there might be a Hollywood adaptation of it. But suddenly the American director who's interested in it, who's played by Adrian Brody, ends up murdered. Uh, in the theater and it's now up to the scotland yard inspector played by sam rockwell as well as a novice constable played by shosha ronan to find out who committed the murder and to catch them before they may kill more people yes so this is a uh, pretty much in the vein of a whodunit spoof of the genre of whodunits yes and it draws significantly from agatha christie and the mousetrap and like the subversions that are at play in the mousetrap. Mm. Um, are you familiar with the mousetrap and just like the, the whole sort of structure of that and the, the reveal of that before you get into this, Pellin? I'm going to keep it real with you, babe. I've n I was never an Agatha Christie girl. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You'd think I would be, right? Um, I, that, yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I went down the John Lacare path oh um, yes while yes. everybody else went agatha christie but i don't think i think i might have read one agatha christie book or two growing up i don't remember any of them i have not read the mousetrap that's so, okay not familiar um, with the premise well i learned everything i needed to learn from the film so, yeah, yeah yeah i was i think i might have mentioned this before but i was a a big agatha christie head when i was younger Sick. Um, that makes sense <laughs> does it it does it does i don't know there's just something very like the the fantastical mystery of it that I think is your vibe. Like, she's good at world building, you know, so that, yeah. that that feels like something you'd like as a kid. Yeah. And now. But yeah, I I, I like Agatha Christie stuff in general. I like I'm familiar with the mousetrap. Yeah. Um, there is a sort of subversion. I'm gonna like spoil it right here for people mm -hmm. who are not familiar with the mousetrap. But the 
the sort of interesting thing about the mousetrap, which was so kind of shocking at the time um, that it was a play, yeah. was that it ended up, uh, the murderer ended up being the detective who was called oh. in. Um, supposedly there was supposed to be a detective and inspector sent in to, to investigate the case. And it turned out that that was not the real um detective it was oh, the murderer shit. who had taken his place uh, so that, that kind of yeah now. knowing that kind of explains a lot about see how they run yeah which draws directly from that um with the sort of suspicions that plants into your head into the constable's head about who the perpetrator of this might be right um but yeah so i'll i'll say like the film is fine i think i mm. sort of enjoyed it i like had an okay time it did make me sort of curious, I think, more generally about the state of the whodunit right now in contemporary right. film. So obviously there's been sort of a a comeback in a sense, like mm-hmm. especially with Knives Out. That was a yep. huge hit. The second Knives Out movie is coming out later this year. Obviously there's like Death on the Nile mm-hmm. and the the films that are sort of more in the Knives Out vein, a lot of them share this kind of self-aware quality like they're they're again they're kind of spoofing or doing a light parody of the genre but while i did find knives out mostly entertaining i think this Mm -hmm. film is a a little bit harder to deal with i think in that it tries to have its cake and eat it too Mm. by following all the conventions of genre while also very loudly announcing that it knows that it's following the conventions of the genre. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you this, like, like literally through a voiceover by Adrian mm-hmm. Brody's character at the beginning. And yeah. so it's almost like trying to act as if it's breaking the rules while actually still just following the rules pretty faithfully. Right. Um, I don't know. What was your opinion of See How They Run? So I recently watched Confess Fletch, which stars John Hamm. And it's based on the film with Chevy Chase back in the 80s, I think. Mm. I didn't know anything about Fletch. And I was like, oh, it's a murder mystery caper. And I want you to watch that because it informed a lot of how I felt about See How They Run. In that, I actually thought See How They Run was a better film. Than um, Confess Fletch. Than Confess Fletch, yeah. Because it felt a little bit more together. Like, there, there's something that felt like, yeah, this is a movie. It is finite. Like, once I'm done with this film, it's done. Whereas yeah. Confess Fletch's issue was that it felt like a TV show that was crammed into a movie. Mm-hmm. I totally get what you mean about the self-awareness. It is irritating. It's like the Deadpoolification of some film genres, <laughs> which I really, really... It annoys the fuck out of me, honestly. Um it did annoy me, but it didn't irritate me to the extent that I think it irritated you. Um, mm. It ultimately was, I think, a f- it was an okay time. Um, it helped that the cast was so fucking stacked. And yeah, this is a stacked cast. It was so stacked. And like, when I saw the trailer, I was like, holy shit, it's like a Wes Anderson movie, which I want to n- then expand on. It yeah. definitely felt like uh, like a lot of cues were taken from Wes Anderson. Yes, I totally agree. So, it, yeah. Um, yeah. It gave me huge French dispatch. Like, Absolutely. Deja vu. And yep. funnily enough, yeah, Shersha Ronan uh, across both of these films. Yes. And there's a narrator in, in these films too. On In yeah. most of Wes Anderson's movies, he, he uses the, that device. But yeah, I mean, it, like Wes Anderson is so singular that it makes sense that there are any kind of influences that we see in other types of films 
I don't know. It felt very polished. Like this film felt very like fifties, straight out the box. Um, yeah, you know, crisp about it, which I think there is something crisp. Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, it's not. I appreciate it. It's not necessarily like what I prefer. Um, I do like grit in in anything that I watch most of the time, but it's what it is. I don't know. It just it felt like a family movie more than anything. So it was hard yeah. for me to hate. Yeah. It's it's neat and t- it's a neat and tidy box. Oh yeah, um, it's a, yeah, it's neat as a for pin. better for yeah. worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think there are some good things about it. Um, again, like I said, I, I do think it's a mostly fine film. Mm-hmm. Great cast, as we said. Even if you know some of them barely get more than like three yeah. lines, that's what you get with such a large sort of ensemble supporting cast. Yeah. Um, yeah. some of it is like genuinely funny. I think I I, I chuckle at some things that happen on the screen. It does almost like reach this point of having something profound to say about what art owes to life and Mm -hmm. what the creation of something what that can do to the people whose lives are borrowed um yeah so this is a slight spoiler but the the main issue behind you know the murder's motivation uh for attacking and killing uh, various people in this film is because he feels that his life story and the life story of his brother who um, tragically died as a child was basically taken or borrowed or stolen or taken or appropriated for the creation of this Agatha Christie play and treated with just like, like turned into kind of a sensationalized, like not, it's not even really the, the heart of something. It's not explored. There's not really any, you know, sensitivity or any, anything really given to the thought of the people whose whose tragedy informed the creation of this play right um it's it's a side note if anything and so that is where the the anger comes from and then you know the agatha christie character in this in this film you know she has her own sort of counter to that which is like well this this is what creation is like this is what you know literature like this is what it is to create art um we don't owe you know that to to anyone and again that's sort of the the argument kind of like in a sense of that that we've been circling i guess throughout this episode yeah but yeah it it approaches this and i i really like where it tees up to go but that happens in maybe the last 10 15 minutes of the film and it is just disappears as quickly as it came in before anything better can be done with it yeah and that again maybe that's supposed to be on purpose because that is actually like illustrating the murderer's complaint again like where something about the the lives impacted that's raised and then brushed aside so quickly it's just like a a side piece so maybe it's supposed to be intentional but i wish that there is something more that had been done with that i don't know if i believe that it's intentional. Do you think that the filmmakers are smart enough <laughs> to believe that? I don't think so. I don't I, know. I, I mean, it's know. hard because, like, I'm totally unfamiliar. Like, this, these filmmakers, like, they're not particularly well known. I, I think, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it make it could just be a case of like, again, let me wink and nod at this and then shut it down. And yeah, it, there's this sort of like uh, blasé sort of feel throughout the film with like w- what it does with these sort of like uh, self-aware genre moments and. It just didn't really have the the heart to carry through with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I recently watched "Don't Worry, Darling." Oh my god! It's it's, right. some, it's something. So, I know. I guess. I guess we should have done a, a fucking episode about that film. We can. We still can. I mean, I can, we still can. It's yeah, now t- out on HBO Max. You're so right. Um, 
I'd, I'd say that to say that like this is the issue with when when the big secret is hidden from you from most of the film and the reveal is the point of the film, this is what ends, ends up happening. Yeah. And it ends up being very underwhelming. It's not as cathartic as I think it feels when you're maybe the screenwriter is writing it. Um, I know that, you know, we were all raised on Scooby-Doo as kids. Like sometimes, yes. sometimes like that's the, you know, but I'm like, that's how you end on it. But it's, it feels, um, like not that you're necessarily cheated, but you can't just answer everything in five minutes and and especially thematically if you're going to be brave enough to go down the thematic route of like art versus creativity and real lives and what that means like i don't know that needs to come in earlier and you need to actually spend some fucking time on it and because it didn't it felt yeah a bit like a wet fart to be honest and it's 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 mostly fine like again i was mostly entertained throughout the film but Mm -hmm. you're right yeah i agree with you yeah i'll say the the saving grace of this movie for me is uh, Saoirse Ronan, who is yes so wonderful. Ugh. Like we, I think we're like pretty much we pretty much stand her anyway. Mm-hmm. But yep, she. This is just like a, another display of her skills as as a performer, as an actor. Yeah, she is so warm. She's so endearing. She's so plucky. I guess you could yeah, say she. Yeah, yeah. She imbues what could have been like just like a bumbling rookie sort of stock type she she adds so much charm and soul to her and she's shown so much that she can she has a range like she can do drama Mm -hmm. she can Mm -hmm. do historical she can do period she can do comedy too and like sort of comedic relief and i don't know i'm just like it renews how much i really like her she's probably one of my favorite working actresses out there today same and it's funny because it's been a while since we've seen her in something like before this film it was just little women and the fact that she jumped off the screen for this film which is average it's an average film it just proves a point yeah she's amazing what i liked about this film as well was like the way that it basically framed her as a grown woman and not a young girl yeah which is like they did that with the addition especially of her children the fact that she's yeah. a mother with children and i'm gonna admit the first time her as like a mother came on screen i was like a little bit taken aback because yeah. i was thinking that she was like oh she's coded as kind of like a young girl a rookie yeah. you know young girl but yeah. yeah they did do something interesting with making her a full mother to i think two children yeah and, and a someone, widow yeah yeah and a widow and yeah. in that way like someone who kind of is more along in maturity with like sam rockwell's character who is yeah, he is yeah. older than her he is like pretty you know he has quite a few years on here yeah so it puts them almost a little bit on more um even footing dynamic wise yeah um want to give a quick shout out to the oscar isaac lookalike um his name is jacob fortune lloyd that's the name of the actor <laughs> he you see him pop up yeah he was in a medici the, yeah. the, the series on netflix yeah yeah he's hot good for him <laughs> That is the conclusion. <laughs> Any, I mean, anyone that looks like Oscar Isaac is hot, you know, and he seems to be taller That's than him true. too. So That's true. good for you, Olive Skin Boys. Uh, please keep it, keep them coming. You guys are, there you you guys go. are very cute. One more, yeah, one more for the stable. <laughs> yeah, one, one more perk about this film. He's barely in it, but I noticed you, hon. Don't you worry. Um, yeah, it's a fun time. I, I, I feel like it's like a good holiday movie too. I feel like you could easily watch this over Thanksgiving very or Christmas. Very much like, um, yeah, you can make it a family moment. Yeah. So this week for Culture Notes, we are checking in 
with the Twitter funeral uh, that seems to be ongoing for for the last couple of weeks. So the the latest development this week is obviously the news that Elon Musk fired 75% of his staff or I think he presented them with the choice of if they want to be hardcore and stay and if they want to leave. And I think most people said that they would rather leave than to serve their new king. And um, it's funny because once that news came out, Twitter itself went into a bit of a frenzy where everyone just started saying goodbye. Um, and I think the most common uh, <laughs> the most common comparison has been when the Titanic was going down and what people were doing. Um, rest <laughs> in peace to all the Titanic people that died on that ship. I'm so sorry that we're comparing this to that. Um, it's obviously not yeah. the same. However, it is funny. It is funny. It is funny. So what's been happening these past few days into this weekend is just there's been a lot of like eulogizing happening. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people getting very misty-eyed. And I just want to preface this by saying that, and many tech people have also weighed in, it is not going to be a sudden dark uh, lights out situation because coders and all the tech people that deal with this you know stemmy shit um they uh are leaving and so we're gonna see probably a s- breakdown over time like, like a, a slow degrade slow yeah. degrading i think someone tweeted about how it's gonna be like a car that just huffs and puffs its way and then eventually grinds to a halt um mm. yeah how do you feel about all the eulogizing that's been going on jenny i think first and foremost it's very funny. It's undeniably funny. Like the, yeah. the tenor of things on Twitter has been very funny these past this past week. And I get the eulogizing. I get how people feel sad. I feel sad too, of course. Um, but I also think this has produced some of the <laughs> the funniest tweets, the best comedy that we've seen on the site in a while. And it's just like big collective uh, storm of both sadness and also shitposting tweeting through it and the 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 it being like the expected demise of a lot of people's favorite site yeah Um, i don't know it's i i have no choice but to see comedy in it Um, i'm really i'm really enjoying a a lot of people's tweets to be honest like it's, it's so funny it's so funny the main thing for me is like where are we gonna get our news sure push notifications from uh like newspapers and stuff are all well and good but the most fascinating thing for me has how twitter has become a, a news site and that's what i'm curious about i, w- I want to know what the void yeah, is going to be in that sense right and not it. just like news disseminating but actually news breaking yes um like with all the public figures on the site yeah like for for having a user base that is actually not that big compared to the other social media platforms it is a site that has a huge impact on uh breaking news making news what people are writing about for different publications what people talk about on other social media platforms yeah uh yeah and a huge outsized influence um i think what i gonna miss is not really even so much a news aspect but having this like big chat room out there in in a sense like yeah man there there are these alternatives being proposed, like uh, Mastodon, I think is one yeah. people are doing now, or people going to various discords or whatever. Um, but the nature of those is like that they are all siloed, that they're all private. Yeah. You have to know where to go for each one. Yeah. Whereas if you're on Twitter long enough, like the whole world sort of opens, it's, it opens up to you, which we've all gone over. Yeah. Our, like our last culture notes, culture notes, I think about Twitter, yeah. but yeah. yeah, it's just like hitting harder now that we know kind of what 
the alternatives people are proposing are and how they're yeah. not quite adequate uh, as a replacement. Yeah, and it's it's sad because I think like I have a friend that that wrote a book and they are genuinely concerned about it because their largest following is on Twitter and the pre-order link is if you've ever published a book or you know anything about publishing, pre-orders are how you signify to your publishing house that you can sell enough copies. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm worried about that too, to be honest, um, if for the future when I do yeah, yeah. write a book. And that that's the issue is like when you don't have your largest audience. And unfortunately, yeah, publishing houses also do talk about your Twitter following and how many followers you have and how big you are on social media to justify yes. whether or not you can even, if, if they want to bring you on as a as a writer in their house yeah. so you know the fact that i will not be going on book talk like oh I no would rather die before me no those girls talk. don't have fucking taste i'm so sorry to book talk none of you know how to read good <laughs> books like you're all kind of just pulling from like reese's and oprah's book clubs and fuck off like <laughs> no but i'm yeah. really curious about how what that's going to do to the publishing industry <laughs> what that's going to do yeah. to like the influencer industry honestly what's going to happen to a bunch of people of color that their only access to like editors or filmmakers or anything like that screenwriters like if they can't be mutuals what are they going to do like how are they going to reach out to people will it mean that more people will have to be proactive about everything like about news about culture like you have to go and seek it out like the way that everybody used to like you know go to the store and discover music by flipping through cds like that kind of shit maybe um maybe maybe. and and maybe like also or maybe people will just like tiktok will see like five hundred thousand more new fault right new users and yeah TikTok is not really any better for the proactiveness. No, and it's it's so much more effort too. Like it, it takes a lot to edit a video for TikTok. <laughs> like I don't know if yeah. everybody has it in them. Um, Can't just post. Yeah, and uh, the main thing for me is like, what's going to happen to all these industries that do rely on Twitter? Uh, not just the people, the little people that you know get um, outsized influence from it, but the people that use it as a you know cultural source. From, to either pull people from or to pull tweets from or to pull like you know phrases or whatever yeah um well what are it's gonna, gonna devastate a large part of internet writing yes that's for sure. exactly um, yeah and some would say that is deserved like internet writing can be a little bit lazy yeah i agree with that yes but <laughs> nevertheless i mean uh, yeah i mean if he, if this in like i don't again first of all we don't even know if twitter is gonna die so just want to say right, that right, right we're up getting top. ahead of ourselves we are but like in the dream world where it actually does die it'll maybe it maybe it'll just limp along maybe it will still be right there yeah on. i just i'm uh, i just want to know that like I, I i'm pretty sure that we're never going to go back to the time of pre-twitter we just need to figure out a way to make everything that we've learned about twitter work everywhere else and i don't think it's going to come from a new platform either so yeah <laughs> curious curious to see what happens um yes yeah and before before we close out our twitter chat i i am gonna tell you right now mm. i've started a campaign yeah we gotta reach. get jenny to ten thousand followers yeah there's a hashtag that that i i've started that <laughs> i want to get trending it's it's get jenny to 10k before twitter dies let's go 
and that says it all. That really says it all. I want to reach 10k, and then the site will die, and and then you've and done it. All die with. Yeah, me. you've done yes. it. You just get that screenshot and just let them know, like, hey, before Twitter died, this is where I was at. Yes. Well, we love grassroots community organizing. Well done. Yes. Yes, we're doing yes. it out here. In the thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for us this week. Um, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or you can at us or DM us at criticismisdead, all one word, hopefully still on Twitter, definitely on Instagram. Uh, for extended show notes, including links <laughs> to everything we've been talking about and more, subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe tell a friend about us. And we will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving to all the Americans. Bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Liu and Jenny Ji Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.